We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to talk about William Wilberforce, the character that's featured in the movie Amazing Grace. And I want to specifically talk about the 200th and 15th anniversary of the abolition of the British slave trade. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Today's topic is William Wilberforce, the British parliamentarian who fought for over 20 years, over 20 years on the floor of the British Parliament for the abolition of the slave trade, and finally succeeded 215 years ago this week. On February 23rd, 215 years ago this week, William Wilberforce demonstrated the power of a good idea, that ideas have consequences, and that good ideas can and will bear good fruit, and that a man or woman with integrity who sticks by his or her guns and doesn't give up, doesn't give up, never gives up, can change the world with the power of a good idea. He demonstrated, he proved that ideas are more powerful than armies and navies. The military conquest doesn't hold a candle to the power of an idea. So today's show is about the consequences of good ideas. And I'm going to use William Wilberforce as an example to make my point. Now, don't forget that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. And before we take a break, I want to tell you about an event that's taking place tonight in Pahuska, Oklahoma. If you're listening to this on Monday... February 21st, and you live in this area, if you live in the northeast corner of Oklahoma, and you're within driving distance of Pahuska, then I encourage you to go to the Pahuska Community Center tonight at 6.30 p.m., where, where I will be speaking at the Osage County GOP monthly meeting, and I'll be addressing the issue of small government and why local contr- control and local government is important and necessary and a precursor to our individual liberty and human freedom. Tonight at 6.30 at the Pahuska Community Center, I'll be speaking on the issue of small government, local control, and individual responsibility. Let's take a break, and when I get back, we'll talk more about William Wilberforce and the power of good ideas, the consequences of good ideas. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to the Rebellion. So, um, William Wilberforce. Now, 
he has become better known in recent years for a couple different reasons. One is the movie Amazing Grace. If you haven't watched it, you need to. Go pick up the movie Amazing Grace and watch it in the next couple days, maybe this weekend. Great movie, historically accurate, and it, it tells the story of a young British parliamentarian, a man who was on the fast track probably to become the Prime Minister of Great Britain, William Wilberforce. He was gifted with the golden tongue. He was a wonderful orator. He had charisma. He had passion. He had the ability to captivate an audience and to guide them with his words. And this man, through the influence of John Newton, the former British slave trader, a captain of a slave ship, who converted to Christ and later wrote the song, the hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton's influence on William Wilberforce resulted in Wilberforce's conversion to true Christianity, real Christianity. That's his language, Wilberforce's language. In fact, he wrote a book that became very popular in England, and it was titled True Christianity. That's a short version of the title. Actually, I had a very long title. Back then, they gave books titles that were a page long, and I don't understand it, but they did. But you might want to pick up that, that, uh, that book of William Wilberforce's on true Christianity. It's a call to Christian character, Christian integrity. Biblical Christianity is the salt and light of culture. It's necessary if you're going to have a healthy community. Wilberforce recognized that and realized that Great Britain was suffering greatly because it had abandoned orthodox, true, real Christianity. Now, if you've listened to me at all on this show over the last year or so, or if you read my weekly column in the Washington Times or whatever, if you've read any of my books, you know that I talk over and over again. One of my one-string banjos is that ideas have consequences. You know that I'm fond of citing Richard Weaver in his book, his seminal work, titled Ideas Have Consequences. And you know that what I say every time I mention that book is that you hardly even need to open it up and read it. All you need to do is read the title, read the cover to get the point. Ideas have consequences. Good ideas, good consequences. Bad ideas, bad consequences. And you know that when I do my daily commentary on this show or when I write for the Washington Times or, like I said, in my books... I repeatedly argue this point. Uh, I've stated over and over again that what we believe always influences how we behave. You get the point there? Beliefs lead to behaviors. You can't separate your head from your heart or fact from faith or attitudes from actions. What you have in your head is going to end up being acted out with your hands. Does that make sense? So, you are going to you are going to practice what you preach whether you like it or not that uh, that uh, preaching if you will those things that you hold in your heart are going to end up being practiced in your daily life so for good or for ill ideas matter we are sentient creatures that means we think we're aware we we are unavoidably blessed or cursed by those principles, those ideas that we hold in our head, in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. So in many ways, and I just said it, we inevitably do practice what we preach because the things we talk about all the time, those ideas that we hold to be important enough to actually 
verbalize, those things are going to become the pretext for the way we practice our daily lives. Uh, Carlyle, an ancient quote from Carlyle here is this, that thing a man does practically believe, the thing a man does practically lay to heart and know for certain is in all cases the primary thing for him and creatively determines all the rest. Carlyle. That's a great quote. I'm going to read it to you again. That thing that a man does practically believe, the thing a man does practically lay to heart and know for certain, is in all cases the primary thing for him and creatively determines all the rest. Piper paraphrase, behaviors are always going to follow your beliefs. Now, you know, in my columns and on this show, I often lean toward the negative. Um, I warn of bad ideas. And I warn and challenge the bondage and the dysfunction that bad ideas bring. We've got enough of them. That's, there's tons of fodder out there to do a show or write an article or write a book on the consequences of bad ideas. I've challenged the intellectual vacuity of the LGBTQIA agenda. I've bemoaned the blatant racism of Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. I've cited socialism and communism's death toll and that we have 100 million people that have died at the hands of a political ideology that we're starting to become infatuated with again and that the millennials and Gen Zers are actually actually thinking that they can do it right the next time when we know that this idea has led to more human suffering than any other ideology out there. And if you're on the left and you want to say, oh yeah, but the Crusades, no. Communism slash Socialism has resulted in more human suffering, more poverty, more slavery, more deprivation, more economic loss, and more murders than any other worldview out there. So again, how's that one working for you? The Dr. Phil question. It hasn't worked very well. The lessons of history have told us that these ideas are bad and that the consequences are going to be bad. I've cited hedonism's track record of deception, uh, that the selfishness of hedonism doesn't work well when it comes to taking care of other people and being sensitive to who they are and respectful and not being rude to other people. You see it in the public square today that this rise of the alphabet soup of subjective identity and hedonism results in vitriol and, and vengeance and, and vice. It results in everything but love. You can wave the banner of love trumps hate, but if your rhetoric is hateful and if you are disrespectful and rude to the people that disagree with you, that's not love. So anyway, you know that week after week, I've attempted to, to um, craft stories on this show and in my articles that, how should I say it, at least hint a bit at the destructive consequences, consequences of what M. Scott Peck calls the diabolical human mind and, and, and history's tendency, mankind's tendency toward insanity and seduction because of the power of ideas. As the Apostle Paul says in the epistle to the Romans that we're given over to a reprobate mind because we've embraced the worst of all ideas. Well, that's my tendency, but I want to talk today about good ideas. Okay? I don't want to talk about the bad ideas. I've done enough of that in the introduction already. 
I'd like to focus on one idea that is good and one that bore its fruit some 215 years ago, like I said, this week in the streets of London. The idea was very simple and it was timeless and it was profound. And the promoter of this idea, as I said, was a young British parliamentarian named William Wilberforce. And what was his idea? Listen to me. Here it is. God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. That's the idea. It's a good idea, a powerful idea, and an, an idea that if we will attend to and embrace and own and humble ourselves before and be governed by that idea, it can change the world, and it has. It has changed the world. It has saved the world. It has saved people from slavery and bondage and cruelty and murder, abuse and disrespect. You see, here's the deal. Wilberforce believed that all men and women are created equal and that any time one man or woman elevates him or herself by enslaving another, that that person has implicitly claimed the status of God. Anytime one man elevates himself over another, dominates another, enslaves another, is rude to another, is disrespectful to another, demeans another, you're implicitly claiming to be God. You're elevating yourself over God. When you do that, the, the slave trade is an elevation of one human over another. Critical race theory is the elevation over one human over another. The anger of BLM is the elevation of one human over another. It's not love. It's vengeance. And that is synonymous with hate. That's why you see the anger in the riots and the protests that are driven by these agendas as opposed to the truckers' convoy in Canada, which was not angry and was not vitriolic and was not vengeful. And in fact, it dispersed quite peacefully without any burning down of buildings or looting. Nobody was killed. The truckers didn't come and kill anybody. If anybody was injured, it was by those that opposed them, not by the truckers themselves. There's a difference between that protest and what you see from these other worldviews. And the, the difference is essentially this. Who is claiming to be God? Wilberforce believed. Wilberforce believed that no one had the right to lord himself over another human being for Wilberforce believed that God alone is Lord. I'll say that again. No one has the right to lord himself over another human being because God alone is Lord. Not you, not me. God is Lord. Therefore, you can't lord yourself over another. Now, Wilberforce fought tirelessly, tirelessly in the British Parliament for this idea. And he did it for over two decades. He was beaten back time and again. He was ridiculed. He was accused of um, economic treason. He was insulted. He was ostracized. His political career suffered. It, it was all but lost. I mean, he was supposed to be prime minister, and now he's being ridiculed by the parliamentarians for being this radical. His influence waned. His voice was muffled. 
through the mockery and the disrespect and the rudeness that his fellow politicians directed his way. But Wilberforce did not relent. He held fast to this idea. He believed in its power. And he he, he boldly declared that he would not be silenced. Wilberforce confronted, and this is his quote, corruption of human nature. He confronted the corruption of human nature, and he called it vice and wickedness. He called human nature by its true name. He, he, he spoke the truth. He talked about vice and wickedness, in other words, sin. He refused to accept the political correct definitions of sin and selfishness and this self-justifying talk of occasional failings and mistakes and accidental incidences. Uh, that, that's what you hear when you hear apologies, right? Well, it was an it, it accident. It was a mistake. It was a miscommunication. No, it is just blatant sin is what it was. Stop buttering it up and making it sound better. So he called this stuff by its true name. This is his language. He used what he called the humiliating language of true Christianity. And he called for personal repentance and moral responsibility rather than just a shrug of the shoulders because of a mistake or an accidental incident. So Wilberforce Bottom line is this, he believed in a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. He was confident that it was the only solution to the corruption of his culture and the evils of his day. But, but here's the deal, he did not advocate for imposing his views with force. He did not do that. Wilberforce believed in the power of persuasion and the example of personal integrity. He didn't believe that he should impose his views, and this was a big deal. We're talking about human slavery here. We're talking about the British slave trade. He did not believe in imposing his views of abolition by force. He believed in the power of persuasion and the example of personal integrity. He believed that living a life of integrity and speaking words with boldness and without apology was more powerful, was more powerful than force, riots, uprising, violence. In other words, the pen is mightier than the sword. And and, and Wilberforce made it clear that his ideas would only prevail if they were grounded in and proven by the lives of those who espoused them. In other words, the people that were championing these ideas of human freedom and abolition of the slave trade had to prove in their very lives the personal integrity that these ideas worked. Practice what you preach. Be men and women of integrity is the bottom line there. Here's a quote from Wilberforce. The national difficulties we face result from the decline of religion and morality among us. My own solid hopes for the well-being of my country depend not so much 
on her navies and armies is on the persuasion that she still contains many who love and obey the gospel of Christ. I believe that their prayers may yet prevail. Close quote. I want you to hear that again. What he's saying right now is that the only way human freedom will prevail is if there are enough people in this country that still obey the gospel of Christ. He says, I believe there are. I believe, and my solid hope is that their prayers may yet prevail. Back to his quote, I want you to listen to it in the context of how I just explained it. And I want you to listen to it in the context of the difficulties that we face in our country right now, in our constitutional republic, the the difficulties that we're facing in America, in our schools, in our Congress, in our courts, in our churches. I want you to listen to his quote in that context. Here it is again. The national difficulties we face result from the decline of religion and morality among us. My own solid hopes for the well-being of my country depend not so much on our country's navies and armies as on the persuasion that she, our country, still contains many who love and obey the gospel of Christ. And I believe that their prayers may yet prevail. Close quote. That, that'll preach right there. That will preach. So when you get frustrated and you think we're losing this one, just remember that Wilberforce, with that quote and that idea and the power of his words, not a sword, not a fist, not a gun, not armies or navies, the power of words, he argued for nearly a quarter of a century for the things that I just described to you as the context and the pretext for human freedom, the abolition of the slave trade. And on February 23rd, 1807, after arguing for over 20 years, like I just said, almost a quarter of a century, on the floor of the British Parliament, William Wilberforce celebrated victory. And the British slave trade was abolished. It was a victory of an idea. Again, I just said it, of an idea, not of political or military conquest, not of navies or armies, to use his language, but that of a good idea over a bad one. It was a victory of truth over lies, of freedom over slavery. Essentially, it was a a victory of sanctification over sin. So, again, ideas matter. Ideas do matter. I say it all the time on this show. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion we have left. Truth is an idea. It's expressing ideas in an honest, factual way. It's, it's, It's... holding tenaciously to the things that are real and right and just. Ideas matter. And in the case of William Wilberforce, you see that the power of an idea lived out, lived out in humility 
and balanced with integrity and measured with grace, that idea, if, if it's owned by people of, I'll say it again, humility, integrity, and grace, that idea can indeed change the world. Wilberforce proves that to us. And he's not the only one. Christ proved that to us. The apostles proved that to us. St. Paul, St. John, St. Matthew, Luke, Peter, Jude, James. They proved this to us. The, the prophets of the Old Testament proved that it wasn't the sword that mattered as much as being set apart, sanctified for holiness unto the Lord and trusting trusting that our obedience in the gospel of Christ will prevail, that the prayers of those who love and obey the gospel of Christ may yet prevail. And in fact, it's not a wish and a hope. It's a promise that they will. Because as you know, I've said it a thousand times on the show, Christ has promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail, but that his church will. So the bottom line is this. In his example, Wilberforce leaves us with something here. And what is it? Hope. He leaves us with hope and a promise that the prayers of many who love and obey the gospel of Christ may yet prevail. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the power of the church. The church has changed the world, um, not by military conquest. Again, don't let the, the reconstructionists of history lie to you. The church has made mistakes. Oh, I don't dispute that. You've got the Inquisition and you've got um, the church when it stopped obeying the gospel and stopped obeying the Bible, when it made mistakes, when it tried to use power rather than persuasion, that was a mistake. But when the church has held fast to the ideas of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that God is God and you are not, that repentance is always better than revenge, and that selflessness is always superior to selfishness, when the church has done its job, when the church has grounded itself in the word made flesh and dwelling among us, in the power of ideas, the alpha and the omega. Again, Jesus defines himself as a word, as an alphabet. Dare we say as an idea rather than an army or a navy. That's when you change the world by grounding yourself in the obedience to the gospel of Christ. In times of universal deceit, truth, the idea of truth, is the only rebellion left. That's the thing that'll change the world. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.